podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be talking with Hamish Houston, MD of Network International in Southern Africa. For over 25 years, Network International has delivered innovative solutions that drive revenue and profitability for their customers. This philosophy has seen them grow to be the largest acquirer in the UAE and the leading enabler of digital commerce in the Middle East and African region. Hi, Hamish. Lovely having you on the show. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Stacey. How are you? Good, good, good. How's the last couple of weeks and months been? It's been, I mean, it's been interesting. About it. I mean, obviously, personally, incredibly privileged that I can actually say that I've enjoyed the last few weeks. Uh, and I realize you know, that is a, a real privilege just because typically my working life involves a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. And so being in one place and, you know, being able to walk out of my study straight back into family life a couple of times a day has been amazing. Yeah. So, no, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed it. Obviously, you know, you get a bit of cabin fever and those types of things. But, um yeah, it's it's been good. I, I think the one impressive thing has been how um, you know the teams generally. I mean, not just our organisation, but in other um, related companies, have managed to work from home and and sort of create this new normal. And I think it's uh, a lot of it will persist long after the the current lockdown. Did you guys have much remote work pre COVID nineteen? We've always had sort of a kind of a flexi policy, mm-hmm. so people do work. Um, you know, from home or wherever they are, and particularly obviously if you if a lot large part of your team are traveling. Then, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's certainly uh, ramped up dramatically. It's, it's curious. I mean, literally just a you know a couple of weeks before the um, the crisis really hit, we uh, signed for new office premises. You know, that are twice the size of the oh, existing no. one. Oh <laughs> no! No, it's, I mean, it's. I, I think it's clear that uh, the, the future work situation is going to be more of a balance i think so definitely um, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we we're, we're growing and, and there's you know opportunities to grow um but uh yeah i think this working from home is definitely gonna gonna stay and uh, one thing i've found and i think a lot of people find and i know there's this uh you know it, it's, it's very trendy to say how busy you are but mm-hmm. um genuinely the the last few weeks um have been crazily busy and i think the productivity that people have demonstrated by working from home and, you know, also reclaiming that couple of hours a day that they would have wasted commuting um, has been very beneficial both to the individual and the organization as well. Yeah, I've noticed that as well within our team. Even when it comes to communication, something that could go either way, we've been better than ever. A conversation I've been having with quite a few different companies is the potential of hiring candidates maybe in a completely different region, seeing how remote working has positively impacted their team dynamic. Could you see yourself doing that? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think that's um, that's very much the case. Obviously, you know, we're a regional organization ourselves. And so one of the things we, you know, um, would consider anyway is where we, you know, um, cite our our, mm-hmm. uh, our centers of excellence but i think it's certainly brought to the fore the fact that you don't need people crammed into one office space um and so yeah no definitely it's a it's a consideration and i know i've seen you know you would have seen the news about you know zuckerberg's plan mm-hmm. to adjust salaries you know say you can be based anywhere but uh, your salary will be normalized to the location that you're in once a year so yeah i think it's a i think it's definitely a trend why, why would you want to live in a big city when you could uh you know, be somewhere uh, more conducive to a good work-life balance, but still work for uh, for a leading company. Yeah, I am so interested to see what the the next couple of months are going to look like, even the next year or two. I think things are going to change a lot. 
we also see how quickly everyone's adapting to, to this new method of working. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. In your career, you have been a part of Network International since day one, to a degree through different means. Tell me about your story leading up to that and how you landed the position of MD of Southern Africa. So uh, I'll just clarify something. So, I mean, I ended up at Network through acquisition rather than being, uh, you know, Network has been around since the mid 90s, I think it was. Um, but you know, the organization that uh, was started in South Africa was essentially acquired twice and ended up in Network International. So, um, yeah, I was at the, at the start of a processor um, that we built here, so a fintech business in, in South Africa based in Cape Town, um, and then through a couple of different uh, iterations ended up as, as part of Network International by acquisition. Like most people, I didn't um, uh, have any idea what I wanted to do uh, leaving school. My parents wanted me to be a lawyer. Um, and I, you know, tried uh, a couple of years of law at, at university and kind of hated it and realized it wasn't for me. Uh, and so bumbled around and um, purely by chance ended up in technology because it seemed like a, a growing industry. After joining a, an organization that was very much a sort of generic, you call them a reseller of, 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 of technology, um, I then moved into a niche which kind of suited me well, which has always been the sort of commercialization of new technologies or new trends that are moving. Um, and, uh, you know, I've spent quite a lot of time in that space, both uh, here, the UK, and then also in, in, in regional roles. So, for example, you know, the current focus on Africa as an example. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, you know, trying to help um Across the chasm, to quote Jeffrey Moore, uh, in, uh, in in the adoption of new technologies. Fundamentally, though, I'm, I'm really just a generalist, right? So I'm just a. I have no specialist skills in, in any specific space. I'm not a techie. I'm not a. Um, I'm not an accountant. I'm just a, a generalist. Do you like that? Uh, I think there's not many general generalists around. Um, so yeah, no, I, I quite enjoy it. I mean, the obvious benefit is that you get exposed to a broader set of things, and in some instances, it's very useful. So particularly as the you know the organisation that uh, I've been involved with, I'm essentially I've been sitting at the same desk um, figuratively for the last uh, sixteen years or whatever it is. Um, particularly when you're in a startup mode, you need to be adaptive. You mm-hmm. can't just be one thing, um, and that's probably less true in a large organisation. Um, unless you're, you know, higher up the chain. So having spent a, a few years in um, these sort of commercialization roles, I realized the one thing that was sort of lacking was a specific business skill set. Um, and so, what's it now, 17 years ago, 2003, I, I was living in the UK. I came back to uh, South Africa specifically to uh, go to business school. And I thought that would you know, round out some of the skills that I was I was lacking, um, and really enjoyed that. It was it was you know highly beneficial to me. Um, and after that, we you know, we tried to uh, launch a uh, consulting business, but focused again in, the, in that sweet spot of trying to help technology businesses, um, guys with good ideas, but not necessarily the commercial acumen to get them launched. We tried to bridge that gap. Uh, it, it wasn't much of a success for a number of environmental factors in, in, in uh, at the time, I think, and you know, probably personal factors as well. Um, and I ended up being approached by a couple of guys um, who owned a credit risk consulting business. 
Um, and after a few conversations with them, they had a couple of ventures that they had sort of conceptualized but hadn't done anything with. Um, and one of them was this concept of a third-party processing business um, in, in, in Cape Town. And so they hired me to get it off the ground. And essentially, that's the, the journey that I'm still on, is that uh, we, we dug a very big hole for a few years in, in trying to get the business off the ground. Um, their current, so their then shareholders sort of ran out of patience um, and you know, said basically they're going to shut it down or, or, or it could be bought out. And so there was a management buyout in, uh, in 2008. And then uh, essentially we rolled that into a private equity-backed group. Um, it was backed by a crowd called Actus, um, who were building a sort of pan-African payments um, business. Um, and we, we called it called Emerging Market Payments and we became part of Emerging Market Payments, which was a really, really interesting journey. It was, uh, mm. was eye-opening for me just in terms of um, the broader African payment space, uh, what was happening in the Middle East, as well as an introduction into having private equity as, uh, as shareholders and the expectations of that. Um, so, yeah, that was a very interesting journey. And then, like all private equity journeys, they were um, it was going to end at some point. And essentially, that EMP group was sold to Network International in, in 2015. And that's why I ended up uh, where I am at the moment. And then how did you end up landing the position of MD? How many years in between from day one of starting there to, to landing that position? Yeah, so, I mean, there was a kind of an, I suppose, by natural succession in some ways, in that um, the processing business that was, that was started out of that credit risk consulting um, the one of the original founders and and the funder of the business, um, he essentially cashed in his chips at the last transaction with uh, with Actus. Um, and at the time, I was COO, which is essentially you know dog's body, doing mm-hmm. anything and everything from sales to uh, you know we took turns buying the milk for the coffee in the office, <laughs> and, you know, all that kind of small company stuff. Um, and yeah, so it, I took over from him when he uh, it cashed in his chips and, and decided to re- retire and fly his plane and play golf and that type of thing. Um, and then, yeah, post the acquisition of, of Network, there was a slight you know, restructure in terms of um, focus. So that's kind of how I end up where I am now. Um, you know, we were essentially, we had a very ni- it was a very nice business. Uh, it was relatively neat and relatively small. Um, you know, the, the, the CEO of Network described it well as a boutique business, um, but now being part of, of something far greater, both in terms of obviously scale, but also the breadth um, is, is very, very interesting. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the exciting journey of the last 15 or 16 years. Time has probably flown by. We spoke quite a bit over the last couple of weeks about salespeople because one of your first jobs you ever got out of uni was in sales. Do you think that anyone can be a salesperson and what does it take to be a successful one? That's a very key question. I think there's a couple of things there. One is, yeah, I, I kind of naturally gravitated to sales, although I'd never considered it as a career. Um, and you know, there's, I think there's a lot of myths in popular culture, if you like, around the natural born salesperson. And, you know, uh, then there's the negative connotations of, you know, used car salespeople and it's not all positive. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, do I think anyone could be a salesperson? I think most people can. I, I firmly believe that sales is a process and it's process driven and, you know, you people can learn um, that process. I, I think there's a couple of 
um, personality dependencies, which uh, are important in good salespeople, but they're not prerequisites. But you know, you have to be engaging, you have to be likable, you have to be able to get across the door. Obviously, good communication skills are are, are very key. But um, you know, I, I don't believe in that natural born salesperson. I think it might work in some environments, maybe if you're a you know, a car salesman or something mm-hmm. like that. But in a in a B two B environment, it's it's certainly not the case. Um, you have to very much focus on 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 the value that you're creating and understand. I mean, the first the first step of sales, obviously, it's a cliche, is to, is the listening part, is to understand what problem your client has, and you know, then trying to position what solution you have to to fill that problem or to solve that problem. Um, so yeah, I, I do believe that you know people can be groomed into being good salespeople. Um, my theory is that it is a very specific life cycle of sales or process that you've driven, and essentially you just need to manage the progression through that 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 cycle. Um, and yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that people, most people, could eventually become a good salesperson. What if somebody who is newly entering the sales space is like, I have so much drive in me. I want to be successful. What advice do you have for me? So I think there's some fundamental skills that are, are useful, and I mean, uh, there's there's obviously you know thousands of books have been written about uh, about sales. Uh, it's an interesting, just slight digression. I think the uh, it, it's well put that you know you can spend three years doing a bachelor's degree and then a year and doing your honours and a couple of years doing a master's, all in the commerce faculty of a university, and you won't attend a single lecture on how to sell. <laughs> so um, true. But it is the most fundamental part of almost any business, no exactly. matter what you're in. Um, and I think that you know that's a, that's a lost opportunity. So um, yet you know there's thousands of books that are written about uh, how to sell. Um, so I think there's value, at, firstly, in, in understanding a methodology, and there's you know, there's so many of them. But essentially, that methodology is just understanding. Again, going back to that life cycle, is uh, how you understand needs how you progress through that those stages and you know there's many of them out there um so that would be a first step is to make sure that you understand um the process if you understand you know the process of sales Mm -hmm. um and then i think the other bit you know uh, which is really useful if you're if you're selling it's a a cliche term but solutions essentially is if if, if it's not just things that come off the shelf in, in large volumes then understanding what builds a business case for your customers so how do they justify this investment? How do they how do they how do they sell it internally? Because it's very rarely that you know people want something, um, and there isn't some competing budget issue mm-hmm. internally. So that you know that talks to the uh, part finance, part um, you know just basic mathematics, you know, commercial mathematics. Those are the, sort of the fundamental things that I think uh, are important. Um, in a salesperson and, you know, the, the, the foundation skills that people should have. Over the next couple of months, we're looking to add a few sales positions onto my team. And I've done a few interviews and I see that salespeople are so great at selling themselves. And it's really difficult to know if they're going to succeed in the position. When interviewing, what do you specifically look out for and, and how do you pick the right salesperson? So, I mean, the easiest thing, but it's the, it's the, it's the obvious thing. It's a track record, but um, you know that's the, mm-hmm. you know, assuming that you uh, you don't have a necessarily a track record, and you're you're hiring for um, you know potential rather than than experience. 
Um, you know, there's a couple of things that I think are very important is the first question is, do I see myself buying from this person? And again, that mm. comes back to, are they engaging? Do they understand you know, what it is that they're, they're trying to position? I love that. And then, yeah, do they have the right skills? So, uh, and those skills may be, depending on the role, if it's a junior person, you're not necessarily looking for the, the final product, but, um, you know, do they have the necessary understanding of, uh, of, of commercial elements of, you know, wh- whatever that it is that they're going to have the context to be able to position the s- solution. Um, but then the, one of the very important things I think is, uh, do you, in, in that interview process is do they naturally um, display those um, sales abilities? So are they asking probing questions uh, about the role, about what's going to bring you to a decision make uh, around you know, who you're going to appoint? Do they try and close effectively? Um, you know, do, do they understand what next steps are? in the hiring process. And that's very indicative of how they would manage a, a sales opportunity, I think. I think that's actually a great point. Something that I learned very early on in my career is the importance of actually interviewing the hiring manager. And I think that so many candidates are so afraid of impressing impressing the person that's interviewing them that they forget that you actually also have the power to accept or reject this role. And I think this this is great advice for anyone going through the interview process is don't be afraid to, to ask as many questions as possible, as many hiring managers actually enjoy that and see that see the importance of having somebody that's really invested in the company, invested in the position. Um, And I saw that change the dynamic so much in the interview process when I changed my mindset to, okay, I'm here to impress. I want to get this job to going in there, telling them about myself, telling them about what I have to give, but then also showing that, listen, I'm also here to, to find out if this job is actually good for me. Is this company, do they have the same values that I have? I think that was life changing in my interview experience. And I actually love interviews. I'm a little bit weird. Like I get, I get an adrenaline rush from them, but I think for anyone out there that's interviewing either for the first first time or is struggling or getting nervous. I think that's, that's really a great point. I think the other, I mean, exactly on that is um, it's unlikely in a sales or an interview that you're going to get the job in the first, in the first discussion. So mm-hmm. any engagement is an opportunity to learn more and thereby refine your positioning as the answer to that problem. Um, and so, you know, eventually you'll meet with a decision maker who, you know, is unlikely to be the first person that you meet with unless it's a smaller organization. So yeah, exactly. Ask lots of questions. Understand more about what the company's looking for, where they're headed, and that just enables you to refine your positioning of what you bring to the table. Exactly, exactly. And then not every successful salesman can be a successful sales manager. What do you think are those differentiating factors? Yeah, I, I mean that's just a, a classic mistake organizations make many, many times is you know, they 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 promote their best salesperson to be a sales manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very akin to uh, the difference between a, a great you know, sportsman and a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many great coaches were good players in their own right, but um, the skills required to be a good sportsman versus a coach are very, very different. So the first thing there, I think, is, is people skills. At the end of the day, sales management is about managing people rather than it is about managing the sales process. Obviously, a good understanding of sales is, is required in that role um, because you need to understand the context that your people are, are working within. Um, so to me, that, that, that is absolutely the primary skill. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, you know, that 
the the ability to be a good mentor is another one. Um, it's you know there's probably some environments um, where sales is a very hard um, uh, game where essentially you know you're managing people in and out um, and you know sink or swim type thing. But generally in, in B2B, um, there's going to be a lot of co- coaching and it's going to be a consultative process, and therefore your sales manager needs to be supportive in that environment. Um, so it's not it's it's not unlike you know general management in 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 managing people, um, but with a specific focus on enabling um, your salespeople. Who at the end of the day, I mean, one of the few things um, that is relatively unique about sales is the fact that you can have the world's best quarter or month or year, or whatever it might be. But you know that's you start from scratch again the next the next um, period. Um, and used to drive me crazy. Yeah, exactly. You uh, would nail, you would nail your target for the month, and then you would go in fresh the next month yeah. and have to build it all the way up. So you know, your, your last quarter is actually no good to you, uh, other than for setting expectations that you're going to do better next quarter. Um, so I mean, that, and that is a unique thing, and, and I think that goes back to the previous question around what type of people you know are good salespeople. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a it is a pressured environment. You have to be able to deal with that kind of pressure. Resilience um, all yeah, the way through. Completely, Irina, you know, very resilient, optimistic type people. Talking about resilience, when you were at asset processing and things were taking longer than expected, you weren't racking up sales the way you expected to or anticipated. What stopped you from just throwing in the towel, and and what kept you motivated? Uh, I think it's yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question, and uh, I think doubt is uh, is is. The demon that that faces many um, you know new uh, startup businesses, particularly those in, in high growth. At the end of the day, I think it comes down to two things. One, and, and they're so closely linked. One is the belief in the purpose. So if you still believe that you have a you know a reason to succeed, and um, uh, you know the small incremental wins that you might have, although the you know you, the, the growth may not be coming as fast as you like. Um, the fact that you still believe in the opportunity that you're you're chasing, and then the related one to that is you know the people that you work with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and those two all go hand in hand. And so it was very much the fact that um, we had an incredibly strong team of you know, great professionals. Um, we were firmly of the belief that the business was always going to be a success. It was just a question of how quickly we could get to that to that um, successful point. And you know, it, it certainly took longer than we expected. But then again, um, it, it it was a journey that was uh, enjoyable. It was challenging. It mm-hmm. was a lot of sleepless nights, but also some some real highs. Um, and so, yeah, it was. I suppose that focus on uh, and belief in the people around you really. Again, not to overplay the sporting metaphor, but it was very much like being in a in, in a team sport. Really, you just got to believe that you're all heading in the right direction. So was it more believing in the team than the product or a mixture of the two? Oh, no. I think you'd be deluded if you if you had a great team and were chasing the wrong target. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I hate my product, but I love my team. <laughs> yeah, that's that's when a, bu- a business needs to pivot. Um, so and there's probably quite a few of those out there. Um, but no, it was, it was very much in, in, in both of those. So we, we had a we had a problem that we were we were clearly going to solve and we were mm-hmm. going to solve it well. Um, it, it took longer than expected to get to that point that we were doing it at scale, but um, yeah, it was it was it was definitely the the, 
the mission, if you like, and, the, and supported by the people. You went through a couple of acquisitions and ultimately watched the company scale. What needed to be done differently and, and how did you prepare to scale? So I think there's, I mean, and this talks to some of my previous experience as well, you know, in, in, in previous roles elsewhere, is that, um, the, you know, the good and bad of uh, mergers and acquisitions is that very often it's, it's easy to, to acquire companies. Um, it's far harder to make those acquisitions successful. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the history of corporate finance is littered with the, corp- the corpses of organizations that have failed and withered on the vine. Um, and I've seen both sides of that. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the clear th- rationale, uh, so the clear thing that's needed is a rationale for the, for the acquisition rather than just, you know, uh, the numbers looking good on a spreadsheet. Um, and then the second part of that is, okay, how do you actually make this work? Um, so the, you know, operationalizing the integration of two organizations is a massive task just in terms of um, the change management, the people management, um, and we obviously saw it at a different scale. You know, so um, asset processing was a was a small business, effectively, um, mm-hmm. less than fifty people. We became part of the EMP group, which was larger, distributed, you know, pan African with a you know uh, and Middle East as well. Um, and we were a reasonably you know large scale organization. And then we were acquired by Network International, which is a you know the largest payments business in the Middle East and Africa. Very different scale. And obviously, with that comes the good and the bad. It's, uh, we had access to a whole bunch of new and interesting things, new markets. In the smaller environment, like I had said earlier, you know, there were times when we would take turns buying the milk and the coffee, and you know, um, everything was very, very much a smaller family. And now, you know, there's there's people. You, I suppose your job becomes a lot more um, within a very defined remit. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, compartmentalized, I suppose. In terms of prep- preparing to scale, I think you know, the sooner you as an individual can work within the new environment, whether those are constraints or opportunities, and you know, get to know who else uh, is helpful to you within an organization, uh, and I would say helpful to you, helpful to you in, in performing your task, um, the better. And I, you know, that's one thing that um, I've seen for the good and the bad. Some people resist reaching out to their new colleagues um, and it hinders them, whereas others sort of, the, the ones who are inevitably successful, I think, are the ones who, who are more proactive in you know, uh, embracing the larger organization. Uh, and that's where the company benefits. Well, Hamish, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It is always a delight getting to chat with you. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you and to find you? So I'm available on LinkedIn. There's not many Hamish Houstons out there. Uh, I think there's a, there's a couple of us. I'm not the, the uh, country music singer. So. <laughs> I'll definitely make note of that. And I'll link everything in the description below. Thank you again for being on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Stacey, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Of course. Thank you for listening to Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent or you yourself are looking for a new exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.